Welcome to West Left, the weekly political discussion challenge in the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Vargas, co-host teacher in socialist Andy Lipson, writing teacher Jessica, and socialist Kenny Cepeda. We're online at westleftpodcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram and just Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Uh, it would be helpful. Uh, unless you're algorithmed away. So find us there. Thank you. Uh, right. So today's topic last week was a conglomeration of different things. This week we're doing something where we um, have an ongoing discussion that I think is important and that I think we should always have on the online world because uh, that's where people are. And that's the topic of AI. But specifically, we're going to discuss Jessica's uh, experience. And she is a professor and has encountered some uh, of the AI issues already arising in education. But we'll use her story to further expand and explore uh, any area around this, because I think that this will always have to be the topic, especially being what's left, where we've discussed with Alison McDowell, the fourth industrial revolution and everything data and wars and and just in the direction that we're moving forward as a society. So uh, that's what we'll be discussing for today. And the just chatbots and other generative AI tools beginning to profoundly change how people live and work. So anyhow, um, so Jessica, why don't you share your recent experience of uh, something that happened in your classroom. Yeah, well, also, I'm, first of all, I'm not gonna go like super into detail of like the specific stuff, but basically, um, I mean, AI has been, I'd say like the hot topic of discussion among faculty at least at my school and I think just in the higher education space like pretty much ever since chat GPT like launched to the public or which was I can't even remember when that was but it I don't know in the in the past year right I think it was like last fall or last summer or something I could be off but um so it's been like a big hot topic I'm sure I've had you know I teach English so most of what I'm looking at is like student writing or um, literary analysis and that kind of stuff. So I'm sure I've had students turn in plagiarized AI papers, you know, um, in the same way that I assume, I mean, I'm not like, I try to not be super naive. And if I see something that looks like plagiarism, you know, even pre-AI, obviously, like I have to do something about it. Um which usually starts with a conversation with that student. But um, this summer I've been teaching a bunch of stuff, but one of the classes I've been teaching is a, a creative writing class, Introduction to Poetry Writing. So it's kind of a class um, for beginner writers. Like I get a lot of students who have literally never written a poem in their life. Um, and the whole point of the class is just to be exposed to different types of poems and try different things kind of like find begin to find your voice right it's like you're supposed to be experimenting um everything the first like 10 out of 11 weeks is considered a rough draft um 
those drafts in particular, like in terms of their grades are completion grades, because I, I would, I just want them to try stuff and I give them prompts and we look at, you know, all sorts of different poems in, in the readings. Anyway, um, this was the first time that I have experienced plagiarism, uh, that I recognized was clearly AI plagiarism in a creative writing class. So I had multiple students turn in poems that uh, I believe were written probably by ChatGPT or some sort of similar AI program. Um, so it's not necessarily like, yeah, go ahead, Andy. Can you just say like, what, um, how many, like roughly how many students would be in that class? And is this, is this an online class or is it in person? Oh yeah. That I should say too is like, so I teach pretty much only in person, maybe bar like one or two classes during the year, but during the summer, everything at my university is online. So this is an online class, which I do think is important. I think this could happen and probably will happen in both in person and online classes, but I think it is much more likely to happen in an online class. Yeah. And it's, uh, how many people are in that class? It's not a huge class. I want to say like 18. Yeah. It's not like a crazy huge, it's a creative writing class where we workshop and stuff. But um, anyway, it was just, obviously I have been sort of awake to all of the AI stuff that's been unfolding. Um, I've been like in the spring, we actually had a couple of faculty workshops where, uh, people were like presenting and we were having discussions and kind of the like predominant rhetoric, at least in my department is like this idea of using AI as a tool, using AI ethically versus using AI unethically and where is the line. And I'm sure we can get into <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it just I it just was like especially like soul crushing to me to encounter this in the context of poetry. Obviously, it's horrible in any context, but the idea of like an AI generated poem is just there's something like especially painful to me. <laughs> I don't know. And part of that's cuz I I'm a poet and I love poetry and that's like something that's so close to my heart. Um, but I think there's also a larger discussion about like art and originality and even like the concept of plagiarism and like what, like who is really doing the plagiarizing, uh, obviously like the students in this case plagiarized, but I also view AI as a plagiarizer. Um, yeah. Is that a good enough intro? In, I, I asked you this off camera before, you know, like how, how could you tell, like, you know, that this is AI and what, like what's kind of like, a uh, you know, signals. Yeah. Um, so it's a good question, especially as like somebody who will not touch AI. Like I have, I have witnessed other people use chat GPT and like demos and stuff, but I actually have had never used it myself. And so I don't, I don't, I feel like I probably am more naive than most people. Um, but the reason that I knew for sure 
I guess. I mean, I feel pretty confident saying for sure. In this case, it's because um, like I've had suspicions before with certain instances. Um, it's not like all students. A majority of my students are fabulous. A majority of my students have been turning in like amazing original like stuff that they should be turning in in a intro, you know, college class. But um, I had two students, same assignment. I had two students turn in uh, poems that were like inexplicably similar to each other. Like they weren't exactly the same. Um, so it was an instance where like if it would have been pre-AI times, I would have approached the students and assumed that one of them had plagiarized from the other and just kind of like changed the poem a little bit. Um, so that was kind of like how I like knew I was like, well, what it something's plagiarized. Either they're plagiarizing each other or whatever. And then and then one of the students admitted to me that um that indeed Chat GPT had composed the poem. So that obviously confirmed it. Um, but now like having spent the past week or two dealing with, you know, when you have a plagiarism case, it's sort of like one of the more serious charges in higher education. Like they take it fairly seriously, I think for good reason. Um, so there's paperwork and there's all this kind of stuff. Um, so I, (laughs) I've spent like more time and energy than I would like. Um, like, just dealing with this issue on a logistical level. And part of that process has been kind of like, you know, you want to like document the charge um, or the suspicion. And so I have actually now in the past two weeks read uh, more AI poetry than I ever thought I would be subjected to in my life. And so I now, I think it's changing, but I, I now know what happens if you put into chat GPT, you know, Hey, write me a poem that uses a lot of descriptive language and for my college class, you know, stuff like stuff like that. I now kind of have a sense of like what comes out. Um, and it is like, there's just so many like patterns that the same vocabulary, the same rhyme schemes, the same meter, the same just crap to be frank like it's it's just it's like a very generic type of poetry and I think you know a more like nuanced student could give it more explicit instructions right and probably make it less obvious um but yeah if you give it like a pretty basic prompt it 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 turns out like the same shit again and again and again like even if you tweak the prompt a little bit um yeah and I I, I'm sure it'll get I mean the more data we feed it the the bigger it's like database gets and so I'm sure it 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 won't stay this way and I mean that's also part of like what makes it difficult to document is like you know it's not like plagiarizing something out of a book where you can be like here (laughs) it's more just like this pattern recognition um, over like multiple assignments and in multiple like different types of patterns. So I don't know if that makes sense. I know not everybody's like super into poetry who's listening, but <laughs> um and I I just don't write it, but <laughs> I love reading it. Yeah. Um the the other thing you had said is and I think did you just meant I don't know if you said it here, is one of the students had admitted that they had done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, now 
I'm kind of getting stuck on this. Um, I don't actually know what the definition of plagiarized is. I thought plagiarized is like, is what you said. Like I, I literally found this from a book. I'm lifting it from the book and I'm putting my name on it when it was somebody else else's work. Is that the same word we, we, we would use in this? Is plagiarism also, if I, if I hire somebody to write me something and then they write it and I don't write it, is that also plagiarism or is that something else? Because I kind of think of what AI is doing here is you're hiring a robot to do your work for you. Um, and it is, quote, original work, but it's just not your work. So I'm getting a little hung up on that. And I don't know why, but maybe you can help me out with the word plagiarism. And are they, do they, do they, are, does it, does it, does it, are both of those plagiarism? And am I right in what I'm describing? Uh, I, I mean, there's, uh, I would say like presenting something as your own work, which is not your own work. Presenting something as your original composition, which you didn't compose, um, would be to me like what plagiarism in an academic context is. Um, yeah, I, I learned this in um, one of those um, like workshops that I was referencing in the spring, but I think the word plagiarize comes originally, like the etymology comes from, it's like Latin or Greek. Uh, meaning kidnapper, which I think is kind of interesting, like this idea of kidnapping or like stealing something, someone, right? Like John Milton talked about books as like living things, as like having a soul almost. Um, yeah, so I, I think I, I actually do want to get into like what, like what AI is and how that relates to the concept of plagiarism. So I actually think it's a really relevant question of like what, what it is. And I think it's deeper than just like the definition that you would get on like a, a classroom syllabus. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cheating, stealing. But what's interesting is like they, everything's happened so fast, right? Like chat GPT, it's like all of a sudden it's just readily available. The basic version is available for free to anybody with an internet connection who's willing to give it their, I forget if it's an email or a phone number, you have to give it something. But um, like <laughs> academia, like we have we don't have like policies or language or like, you know, you when you look at like, there's a institutional, paragraph that I, I have to put on my syllabus, you know, that talks about like academic uh, integrity and plagiarism and all that kind of stuff. And so like doing all this paperwork, like one thing I said to our, like our student relations department is like, like, I'm actually a little lost on the procedure. Cause I always try to be really clear with students about like, you know, this is this is like what happens. This is the procedure. This is, you know, so that there's clear expectations um, when you run into something like this, but like they, they, it, they don't have like the language doesn't reflect the technology yet, you know? So it's like, we're, we're playing catch up like, and they're, they're actually revising their like plagiarism statement for the institution as we speak, trying to get it ready for like fall term. 
Um, by which time it'll probably be like even, you know, outdated again. So it's just like an interesting, like, just feel like you're on a hamster wheel of like, you know, being behind the culture and like the reality of what students' lives are like. And one last thing, because I do want you to share like, the reason, partly the reason we're having this episode is you shared a letter that you wrote to your students about this event. And I thought it was a wonderful letter. But what what might be the reason a student, like this just seems like a class that person takes to, like like when I was in college, a, a class I don't really need, but one I would take for fun. Um, do you know anything about the situation of this, of students, about this class? Is it, are there some students who have to take this class who might not want to take it? Or do you have any notion of, of a profile for why a person would even go down this road in a creative writing class? Well, I'm not going to speak to like the specifics of the individual students, but um, yeah, it is very telling, right? Like it doesn't make logical sense given like what I told you about the specific assignment. You literally could write the worst poem ever. You could write a two line poem. That's shit, you know? My computer on Zoom. Maybe give it a title. And you would get a hundred percent for the rough draft because all I'm asking you to do is try, right? Um, and I, you know, I'm especially in a class like this, like one thing I, I really communicate to my students is like, you better fail. Like you better fail at some point. If you're they're writing a poem every week for the whole term, basically, which is a lot. It's really hard <laughs> to produce a poem every week, even for like accomplished writers a lot of the time. Um, and so yeah, it doesn't make logical sense to take a risk like plagiarizing or cheating or even like not turning in the assignment. Like sometimes students don't turn it in assignments and I'm like, this is the easiest assignment ever. This is the easiest grade you can get. Right. Just write something, <laughs> just write anything. Um, I mean, there's a, there's an assignment prompt. So if it's like clear that they just completely ignored it, but they're very open-ended like prompts. Um, anyway, so yeah, there, I think it's like an interesting question of like, well, what circumstances would lead somebody to make a choice like that in given these circumstances? Um, so I'm not again, I'm not going to say like anything about the specific students of this instance, but I will I will say just broadly, I think some of the factors. Um, I have a lot of students, especially in the summer. I have a lot of non traditional students, meaning students who might be like older, students who are working full time during the school year as well. I have students who work full time. I mean, that alone is an insane load. Like, if you're working 40 hours a week and you're trying to go to school even part time or some of them full time, um, it's insane. That's an insane, like, there's not enough hours in the day. Like, they, they're not sleeping or they're not, you know, something's falling massively high rates of mental health issues. I feel like I have more students who have ADHD, you know, allegedly, whatever, you know, different episode, <laughs> but, um, more, you know, more students identify as having a mental health issue than don't. Um, a lot of them are medicated. One of the most common reasons that I get, um, from students when it comes to like, oh, like, can I have an extension on this? Or like, uh, I'm going to be like out for a week is, uh, I'm on a new medication or I've changed my medication usually for like anxiety, depression, ADHD, this kind of stuff. Uh, super, super common. Um, and I also assume that I only hear like 
a small percentage of those, you know, like not everybody wants to share stuff about their mental health with their professor. So I think there's probably even more than I realize. Um, lack of comprehension also. I mean, this has always been a problem, you know, it's sort of like, here's the syllabus, here's the assignment prompt. In this case, it's an on online class. I mean, there's like a recorded mini lecture or something, um, all of which give like very clear instructions. And then you get students asking a question that you've already answered like six times. I mean, you all had this experience, you know, whether in the classroom or whatever. Um, but yeah, I do think there's like a, just a, I, I, like there's a there's something not connecting when you choose to plagiarize on an assignment like this maybe in a in a case where you, there's a rubric you know maybe for a final paper or final project like there's other assignments where it would make more logical sense I still don't think it makes sense but um but yeah there's clearly I, I also have um homeless students that's an issue uh I have students who are like caretaking so there's just like a lot that it's a shit show I mean <laughs> it's a the whole society like people are suffering people are incredibly overwhelmed that it's really hard to like write a poem I guess where I I so you this might be a question that for the following what you're going to read how do you then so if you have this issue you're not being directed how to then address it, but you took matters into your own hands, right? So what did you do? You wrote, you shared something. Well, I wouldn't say I took matters. I don't know. That sounds like I went rogue or something. I mean, there is a procedure. <laughs> like I, I followed the procedure. I mean, my approach with this kind of thing, if there's like a small suspicion, I usually flag it, but give the student benefit of the doubt if they haven't really given me a reason to like question something, you know, I just, I might comment on a draft and say like, you're using a lot of cliche language in this or like, um, what would this poem look like if you didn't write it in meter, you know, stuff like that. Um, if there's something that clearly looks like plagiarism, which in this case it did, um, I have a conversation with the student in this case, it happened over zoom. Um, you know, I want to hear like the context and what was going on. I want to hear, I want to give them a chance to say like, yeah, I plagiarized or no, I didn't plagiarize. And I've had both of those <laughs> instances happen this summer. Um, and then, I mean, my job requires me to file like paperwork. Um, I do, I get the autonomy to say um, like what I recommend in terms of um you know, like, do I want action to be taken? Um, do I want, you know, I mean, I can give, I give them a zero on the assignment. I can give them a chance to like resubmit a non-plagiarized. Um, or I can, I can ask that like an academic hearing take place. I mean, it, especially if there's like multiple offenses, you know, like if they've plagiarized in a previous course or something, and the, and the institution has a record of that, then, you know, it'd be like, I, I, I would might check like, okay, I don't want this. I don't, I'm not requesting any action be taken at this time. I just want it to be documented that the student plagiarized so that if it happens again, you know, they're not just, it doesn't become like a pattern. Um, 
So there's like, there's a certain level of like bureaucracy and stuff. Um, I mean, I try to just use my best judgment and yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to go into like when I break rules or don't break rules or whatever, but um, it's very subjective. It's, It's very subjective. Like obviously I've been teaching college classes for like over a decade now. Um, so I've had all sorts of things happen and you just kind of have to take it case by case. But I, I mean, most important to me is giving the student an opportunity to explain, you know, cause yeah, like you got to figure it out in terms of grades and repercussions on a logistical level. But like when somebody plagiarizes, it is to me as like somebody who cares about originality and like if somebody stole my work and presented it as their own I consider that like a huge boundary violation I know there's different like cultural understandings like I've had um when I was teaching in Seattle I had a lot of Chinese students and one thing I learned about Chinese culture is that they have a very different understanding of like I mean it kind of reflects in some case in some sense the politics or like you know the supposed politics of like shared knowledge like there's just not as much expectation in Chinese education uh in the Chinese education system of like everything needs to be like cited like every source like everything needs to be referenced and um credited um so there's there's like obviously cultural dimensions to it too but I I think it is like you know there's a lot of dumb rules in academia but I, I don't think the rule that you shouldn't plagiarize is one of them so I do take it quite seriously but I also understand that like usually there's an underlying issue that's happening for the student like I don't ever really want my students to feel like they need to plagiarize (laughs) you know like I want them to come to me and say like hey I'm, I'm having x y and z issue with this assignment I need an extension or I need support in such and such a way like you know, that's what should happen, right? As opposed to like feeling like they're backed into a corner such that they are so overwhelmed or so like feel so powerless or feel so stupid. A lot of them feel really stupid and like incapable, especially when it comes to something like poetry uh, that they might be doing for the first time. Um, so to me, like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going on and on. But yeah, I want to hear like from them what if I can, if they're willing to open up, like what led you to make this decision? Did you want to read what you wrote or are we just... Let me read what I wrote and then I feel like I'm talking way more than I want to be because I want to hear like your guys' thoughts and stuff on AI. So yeah, I just, you know, obviously I dealt with these cases on an individual basis, but because it happened multiple times and because... I feel like this is something that's going to just unfortunately be more and more common and even beyond the confines of like a college institution. It's just something that is a reality, AI. Um, And so I kind of wanted to say something to the whole class. um, Acknowledging, because I hadn't, you know, if it were an in-person class, we'd probably have like multiple classroom conversations about this where I would it would be more of a 
exchange and I would ask them like, you know, how many of you have been on chat GPT and let's talk about this in a more nuanced way, but it's an asynchronous on- online class in this case, unfortunately. Um, asynchronous so I, being that it's pre-recorded. Yeah. Uh, pre-record. I, I mean, I do a little bit of like mini lectures and stuff, but it's not even really, yeah. It, meaning that like, we don't meet as a, we don't meet like we're meeting right now, like live. Um, like I might meet live, you know, one-on-one with students and stuff throughout the term. And we actually had a nice like end of class, um, reading the other night. And it was actually really nice because the majority of the class, uh, showed up live, which was really cool. doesn't usually happen in an asynchronous class. Um, but yeah, it's just, you're very removed. So anyway, I, I wanted to say something. I wanted to acknowledge this. So I just wrote them a little, uh, message. So I'm, I'll just read it. Okay, it's not that long. So, notes on AI, a plea from your poetry professor. Okay, so I said, it's clear to me that several of the poems that have been turned in this term have been AI generated. This is disappointing, but I suppose reflective of the technological reality in which we are now living. First, I'd like to remind you all what corporately owned and managed AI tools in quotations, tools such as ChatGPT actually are. A conglomeration of data harvested from user input, churned through codes and algorithms, and sold back to the user as a product. Granted, the basic version of ChatGPT is free. Again, in quotes, free. AI itself is the embodiment of a plagiarizer. It does not generate its own original work, only rearranges a Frankenstein patchwork of content it has been fed. The creators of that original content are neither credited nor compensated. Those who patent and manage the AI, on the other hand, profit immensely. Though there are often clues, some more blatant than others, there is really no way for me to know 100% for certain whether a piece of writing is original or AI-generated. I can only ask that if you are inclined to use AI for creative writing, you stop to consider the ethical and artistic implications. Grades are part of the education system in which we operate, but are, in my opinion, a relatively insignificant matter in the grand scheme of things. Your creative integrity is not an insignificant matter. The art of poetry can be all sorts of things, as I hope this course has demonstrated, but at its heart, it is fundamentally human. However overwhelmed, inexperienced, untalented, or tormented by writer's block you think you are, if you believe a robot can compose a better poem than you can, you are sorely mistaken. I implore you to have more faith in yourself and your creative capability moving forward. If all poems are on some level self-portraits, which is something we had discussed that week in the class, if all poems are on some level self-portraits, What does the choice to outsource our imaginative work to machines say about us? Amid today's deluge of screen surveillance and technocratic extortionists, let at least our poetry not be soulless and synthetic. Just, you know, a nice... What was the the response? Well, maybe I do want to hear the response, but because part of this, the reason we're having this episode is because of what you wrote. And I, I just want to say what I, what I like about that really was the end. Well, I think the whole letter was attempting to try. It was a plea to students to say, look at look at this world that's being constructed 
And do we really want to walk in down this road and to try to get people to think more deeply about that kind of choice as it relates to like a, a humanly creative thing, you know, like it's, it, it's, I didn't hear a guilt trip in it. It was attempting to just say, do we really want to do this? And I just felt that was really well put. Um, and I'm really glad you made that choice to share that because we are, we are, we are powerless to stop people from walking down this road, but that is a big part of what we talk about and what's left is trying to encourage people to see, do we, we don't want to necessarily walk this way with tech. We may want to try to do something else for the sake of humanity in general, but also for the sake, what I think was put out here is about your personal self, about how you think about it there. And of course, you've already said people are busy, da, 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 it's a class, I need to do this, blah, blah, blah. But I, I and so one can know why a person might do this. And now we've created more facility, we facilitated even other reasons for people to just walk this road. But it, it, I just like the fact that it, it, because poetry is about humanity and a person's creativity and humanity, that I just think it needed to be centered in that. I, I really like that. Thanks. It, it's funny because um, when I read this, it, it absolutely hit me too. Um, it also reminded me when I was in school because uh, I, I also did plagiarize at times. Or I, I guess, you know, like I remember in high school, I, I, I had this class and most of the semester I copied homework from someone who would allow me to copy the homework. But that still involved me reading and writing and processing stuff. And, and you know, and, and somehow, some way, I guess I, I, it did something because I still passed the AP exam. This was an AP class. I still passed the AP exam by doing this. You know, and again, we can talk about the multitude of reasons for whatever. And the point is that when I, when I think of this, right, this is like more uh, plagiarizing or using AI, it's even more, it detaches you even further, you know, than what I did, right? Because you just plug something in and you don't have to do much more than just copy and paste it, right? And, and probably because they submitted that digitally, imagine. Yeah, no, and I think I, I can't remember if I said this to you guys or I said it to someone that like, I never thought I would as a teacher, like kind of miss the days of like old school plagiarism and like, like, yeah, same when, when I was in high school, I always liked reading. So I always did the reading, but like if kids didn't want to do the reading, they would go read spark notes. You guys know spark notes, yeah. but it's like, I honestly don't think a lot of my college freshmen even have the attention span to read the spark notes of a novel mm. and like comprehend it and retain it, you know, or even like, like in your situation, Kenny, like, I'm assuming you had, I don't know if you were just, I assume you weren't like just copying like over their shoulder. Like you probably had to have some sort of human interaction I, I asked to like them, convince yeah. them yeah. or, you know, some people pay or whatever, but like you had to have a, like create a human relationship in order to like get what you wanted, which I'm not saying it's justified, but like you had to do a little work. I mean, exactly. That's my point. You know, that there was still that connection to other people and some physical process. right? And that's a skill. Like, that's kind of a, a useful skill, maybe even more than reading poetry in the world. And, you know, to be able to, like, 
gets to convince somebody, right? Yeah. And so again, the, the the part that you uh, mentioned that is soul crushing, you know, like I understand, you know, that in my situation, right, like I didn't learn as much as I could have learned, whatever the reasons. Um, but like you said, it, it's just there is no interaction, and and, and again, being a, a new parent makes me wonder, right? Like this is happening right now. What What's gonna happen by the time my kid is older and like a working age or, you know, because uh, maybe we'll eventually get into why this is happening, right? Why is AI? Uh, because you did mention, right, that in, in your response to the plagiarism, um, the whole thing about product, right? Like this is quote unquote free. Because I think we before we mentioned in this show, right? Like if, if something is free, then you're the product. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, why is this, you know, chat GPT and all this AI talk, which is constant, like on the news, uh, why is this now post pandemic? Right. And we've also kind of hinted at, you know, the whole role of the pandemic in developing this uh, uh, because AI is not new. This is not a new thing. Right. This has been in development for a long time. And, you know, like I know that there's some form of it. It's been present in. Map like uh, the like the sorry the mapping system uh, applications right that we use for driving around finding addresses yeah GPS yeah yeah GPS yeah so you know it's been around but it has intensified and it's in the face of people right that in in and especially in college like that's what it brings up to me that you know we've also talked in this show that you know especially colleges is 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 part of an institution, it's part of a way of indoctrinating and sorting through workers, right? And and I actually, you know, within this system, what capitalism is built for, like that kid is actually doing what, you know, maybe we'll get them ahead because they're figuring out how to use AI, right? And 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 like makes me think of college too, that I often don't think the people that read the most or you know do the, the people that have the more social skills and like more resourceful are the ones who get ahead in in capitalist system, right? Not because they're the smartest or the most passionate about something necessarily, even though that's sold as a mythology. So that's how I see it. And so, you know, like a lot of companies are using, you know, and investing money in this stuff, and they're gonna want the kids that know how to use this. And we already know uh, if you look at the people who are billionaires out of tech, they're college dropouts. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're willing to play outside the rules that are that are constructed for everyone else. And again, I'm not endorsing it because I do see the human aspect, this, the crushing aspect of it. But it, you know, it 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 makes sense to me if you know that kids are using it. And yes, all those aspects of being tired or being overworked or anxious or not feeling uh, worthy or you know or capable of doing something. But more than what I think about is like the framework that these kids are getting getting plugged into. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I would say. Well, and they've been groomed, you know, to almost like fetishize and like worship this type of technology. And I, I mean, it's hard. Like college age, I mean, and a lot of my students, especially in summer, like I said, are not necessarily like typical college age, but like in general, you know, 18 and 22, it's such a weird age because it's like you kind of like they're they're almost adults, like they are legally adults. So I think it's important like to 
hold them responsible for their own actions and stuff like that. But also like, I don't know, a college is such a time of like transition. So it is weird, but I, I don't really blame students for using this technology. And I, I think like who I'm really angry at. Um, I mean, I hope it doesn't sound too much like I'm like bitching about my students because I, I really am not angry at them. I'm angry at, I mean, obviously like the whole infrastructure and billionaires and all that, but I'm also really angry at my fellow teachers, which seems to be a theme these past couple of years. But like, even, I mean, I've witnessed firsthand, like they're just giving such mixed messages to students about what the rules even are. So it's like, you know, if you ask me, I'm going to say like, absolutely not. Do not use any AI in a, in this class at all, ever. It's unethical. Um, but then you have other stu- other faculty members and administrators and stuff like literally lecturing on like how to use it as a tool, how to use AI ethically, like what's the line? And the line's not consistent. So they're getting like all these mixed messages. It's so readily accessible. And then like at my school, apparently in the spring, they started actually using, I think, chat GPT specifically in the like in the writing center, which is where like you can go, you know, it's like a campus resource. And so as long as students are transparent about it and they're like using it as a tool for brainstorming or whatever, they can literally like use it in their writing center sessions. And that happened without any like discussion, debate, any, like nobody asked faculty. And I think especially like English writing faculty, it it seems like especially relevant for those classes because that's like the majority of classes that people go to the writing center for it's like there was never any discussion about like what what message are we giving to our students and then we're like oh you broke a rule and it's like well they probably didn't even know and it actually is very clear to me from some of the conversations that I've had with students who have plagiarized that I mean, part of, sometimes they know when they're doing something wrong, but sometimes they really don't. And it is a fine line and it's making me like, it's like another, another check on the Luddite reasons to be a Luddite. Like I'm thinking back, I'm thinking like, like maybe we should never have allowed spell check on Microsoft Word because that is on the spectrum. And like, I've never had a problem with my students using spell check to like help proof as long as they do it, like with an awareness that sometimes it might be wrong you might have it set to the wrong language or something right but like I've never really like thought deeply about that like use it don't use it whatever but it's like there's this spectrum of you know use spell check to help proofread your final essay to like use it use AI to like you know give you ideas for brainstorming to then like here's this original essay or poem that I wrote. Can you make like the language more descriptive or like, can you check my organization all the way to like write my poem for me? (laughs) Right. And it's like, there's, of course they don't know. Of course they don't know what's like ethical and what's okay. Like they're just, they're just trying to fucking get their piece of paper, you know, their degree that they paid like a zillion dollars for and are probably in debt or like working 45 hours a week to try to pay for um, so I don't blame them in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, and it, I think it's interesting that I'm glad we were talking about this because um, and I think it started struggling with me when when the word plagiarism kind of came up so much um, because 
you know, I just got, I'm just, I just get more and more angry about, well, we, we went remote. Um, and, and Kenny's exactly right that this whole thing has escalated as, as a result of all the COVID stuff. And it's like for us as teachers or for, or for the institution of education to be wondering, we've put, we've, we've so much got into ed tech. We so much put Google Classroom in, 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 our, in what we're doing. We so much are doing like online classes um, and even talking about that as an alternative for independence and da, 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 da. And it's all such a data collection operation. Um, and yet we're going to turn around and then blame like or even be mad at students when they utilize these tools that we ourselves are developing so that they can ultimately be used against us. It there is something I guess I do think there's something hypocritical. No, I think there's something hip hypocritical in institutions saying we're going to come we're going to come down on this because we we literally created it or or rather we literally facilitated its creation and its spread. And now we're saying, oh, well, like as if we have buyer's remorse, but we don't. We just are kind of very narrowly critiquing this one aspect of what students might be doing when we as an institution have just literally created this entire data harvesting operation uh, that that is that has been used to feed the AI. And this is just only, what's happening with students here is only a piece of the of the way AI will both be iterated into being a better AI. Um, and so I, I'm finding myself, I still feel like the message you said to those students is very important that they hear it, but I, I have to lay the blame on this entirely on us, on teachers, on education. We, we fucking did this whole thing. We signed up for this bullshit and we, we, we encouraged people under the name of safety to do this. And so it's 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 causing me to even like I haven't I'm, I haven't been in this situation, um, but it's causing me to go like you know what, do whatever you know I I would still feel like I want to say what you're saying about is this really the world is this really the way you want to walk through the world given the world that's being constructed where you're basically going to outsource your identity to a robot? Do you think that's how's that going to work for you? Because that's what's happening. But that process of outsourcing ourselves to a robot, we all signed up for it. Like, I'm not saying you did, Jessica, or Kenny, or even, but by and large, education has fucking, it's, it's, it is, it has accelerated that process and celebrated that process. And so for them to then say, well, no, no, you can't do that. It's, I feel like it's complete hypocrisy. And I don't buy it. I don't buy, or rather, I only buy it to the extent that teachers and educators are fucking ignorant of everything we've done to get to this point and, and time. Um, so that's kind of maybe, I didn't really expect that because I was so struck by your letter, but I'm finding in just discussing this that I'm like, I'm just getting mad at education again. You know, it seems to be a theme. I, I saw there was an article, uh, I think yesterday maybe, in the good old New York Times about um, absenteeism in school. I think they're talking mostly about K through 12 and like how right now there's these crazy high rates of kids just not going to school, just not showing up. 
Um, and it's higher in states where school closures lasted longer, you know, and they're tying it like, oh, this is because of COVID and the lockdowns and stuff. And it's like, you told them not to go to school for two years. So why are you surprised that now they're not going to school in your, like, it's just like, uh, it's so dense. I don't know. Uh, just to add to that, you know, I was at the back to school night last night at my uh, at the primary school that I am. I uh, my nephew goes to, and his teacher was saying to us that she has seen um, the way that kids are learning are their 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 level of writing isn't as um, as it used to be in previous years because of. And she's she's got like over twenty years of experience working with specific grades and in, in elementary school, and she's can assess. And she's at the top of her classroom. She's one of the top high um, like teachers of of my my nephew's school, who's considered to have uh, the best results of, as far as like writing and reading. Most of her children come out really well uh, uh, out of that classroom with good academic skills and she's just struggling because and she blames it she says it's the lockdowns it's it's this that screwed up every every child because they didn't have they didn't go to school in person and she's the only one to say it in our school everyone sort of doesn't want to talk about it and she says it it's everyone do you not realize that our kids are behind academically because of what everyone else here was wanting, which is just locked in our school. So just to add an anecdote there. Um, anyhow, um, I've been thinking, and I don't know if you, you want, anyone else want to say something else before I? Yeah, I mean, I want to add, pile on this thing, like people who say, oh, well, you know, you can, we don't keep, we don't need kids to get, develop a handwriting, you know, when they can type, you know, they can just write it. Or we don't need the kids to necessarily read it if they can get an audio book. We're literally creating the circumstance of, of creating more helplessness in young people for the possibility of changing their lives. And we are, we, that helplessness is only going to help the, the institutions who will control the information through the audio book or through the, micros, the word processing. And that, again, is Google and these corporations. And the fact that teachers, I guess you could make it, you can, you can just say, oh, well, they're not thinking of it that way. It's just irresponsible because it's, we, are, we are putting, I'm just so pissed that we, that we did, not just around lockdowns and COVID, but that we did this. And, and so many of these teachers who talk about liberation and social justice and literally stripped away when they think about ed tech, the actual idea that this entire infrastructure is 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 owned by a corporation who is an enemy to our students and an enemy to us, and we and we're like literally saying we're handing over to those people, and that again, that's what I liked in your letter is to say, do you, do you want to go down this road because it's not going to be good. 
It doesn't end well for you and it doesn't end well for me. Um, but I, I will say I get, I do get upset thinking that there's a, that at your college or any college or any school sitting there going to be like, well, we got to do something about it. We got to come up with rules. It's like you, you, you fuckers, you all just, you decided this is how things are going to go. And now you see some sort of side product. That's the problem. And you've, you've actually misidentified where the problem is. You look down and see the problem instead of looking up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just irritated as fuck by thinking about this. Yeah. And that, like, that's my whole point about like, yes, there is a risk of students plagiarizing, but it's really AI that like embodies plagiarism and and nobody seems to be paying attention to that. So it's like so much, it's like the students get all the flack, which I, I just, yeah, I don't think it's fair. And I also, I was just thinking about the conversation we have with Alex Gutentag a couple weeks back and this idea of like public education. It's like, why, why would we ever be using chat GPT in a public institution? It's a corporate platform. It's, isn't it owned by Microsoft? I might be, I don't know. One of them, right? Bard is Google. They're, they're corporate platforms. So they have absolutely no business being used in a college classroom and that, but the reality is this this public school thing has been a charade for quite some time that's yeah, fake yes yeah, it's, it's like we are a private institute we're we're as private or corporate as, as a charter there's uh, in my opinion there's just no difference yeah i just want to say that you know something that comes to mind again with the big picture maybe this will tie into you eduardo yeah is that this like this is creating uh, illiterate people <laughs> you know like it, 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 there will be like you said you mentioned it's independent on something and, and, and have a mediator right a, a person who you know like that's the other problem that I see with education that generally edu- uh, we equate progress and, and things to technology and and you know, when we we're not seeing that what roots us, right? Like the materialist in me is that what what's really real is the fucking dirt, right? It is the shit that will fucking feed us. You know, the things that you know. In in instead of creating again for educated people, this is creating a situation of of that's not different than uh, you know like. The generational difference with my parents, who are barely literate with computers, right, or better literate with, my, like my grandma, she couldn't read, you know, and, and so the, their options are limited as to what they can do within the system, you know, and and the people who truly understand that not following the rules, it's it's how you get again ahead in this system are the ones who are ruling us, you know, while everyone else is is you know adheres because I I happen to think that. I get the ethical aspect, you know, of like the, the hurt about plagiarizing. I actually, from when I was in college 15 years ago, I always thought that this whole emphasis on citing and, and, and this stuff, it, it, it's about private property, intellectual property. It's about profit, the, the, you know, the, the, the capitalist system, you know, because if, if something is useful to someone, who the fuck cares? You know, it, it, that's at least 
you know, roughly, and maybe I have to analyze it again, but, but, but again, that's what it brings up is that that's one more reason I don't want my daughter to be plugged to this because she will be more at the mercy of the people who are, who know how to move the rules, who know that these rules don't apply to them, you know, who, who understand that AI is not a, it doesn't have a mind of its own because that's how it's fucking sold to us. And we need to remember this fucking tool, right, of the people who rule this world. And yes, there's this fear that, you know, it will take over the world. That's the fantasy world. But before we even get there, they're using this shit, you know, and, and they're using this shit to extract profit and to manage people so they can extract property and stay on top. And, and so people don't uh, rebel, right, and, and don't cause a revolution. And, and so that they are always dependent and keeping, keeping us buried down, you know. And so when I see someone using AI, you know, what I see is someone who's trying to stay afloat, right? In, in, in a system where you're supposed to meet certain, you know, criteria in order to hopefully advance, you know, because that's the promise of college, right? For most kids, at least that, that are coming from underserved communities that they can get ahead and, and stay ahead. <laughs> but that is increasingly not true. And, and it's quite the opposite. And again, it's more smoke and mirrors. Uh, for me, at least. Uh, well, I was sort of thinking what I can contribute to this conversation because I was thinking, I, I called you, Andy, and I thought to myself, what, um, <laughs> I said, what are we doing for the topic? And he's like, well, we're doing the AI and Jessica's story. And I said, oh, that's right, that's right. So I was in the, I was in the kitchen and I was thinking, and you know, I I uh, I was thinking about what AI and art and the threat to art and and to human creativity, human just the humanities and and what it makes the threat to us as humans, like what makes us human. And I was thinking, how, why is it a threat, right? And and I kept thinking as I was washing dishes, trying to figure out like, why is it so threatening? Why can I, can I come down to something that I personally think is just unhuman about it? Why is it, it's been helpful in so many other ways as some people would argue in, in the medical field and in technology and trying to uh, um, comfort people, right? We had a whole episode on sex tech and how it's supposed to be enhancing and supporting people with their sex lives, et cetera. People can go and reference to that episode. And I was thinking about what makes us human and different from AI and robots. And so I thought I, I sort of try to make a list in my head and thought, okay, maybe it's, it's being able to physically get things. Well, there's a lot of things like in robotics in the field of robotics about how can get things. Well, maybe it's, um, it's it's maybe creativity. Well, that can be argued. Like you know, I was thinking intelligence. Like now, things are being slowly um, being uh, in in the ingenuity of things are being made up now. That the, the, there are new things that are coming up with AI, where they can create things in a faster, quicker space. Uh, and and then I thought, oh well, there's a level of creativity that maybe that's special to us. And then I thought about the ethics. Which is definitely us humans. The ethic, the the, the ethical decision making that belongs to us because from stories and 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 spirituality, 
rise morality, morals, and principles and values to us. And that's where these ethics also rise. And that's how people live. Right? And, and, and they make these decisions based on what they've come to understand what is right or wrong. I'm not saying I believe everything that most people believe, but that we have human thoughts and create these 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 uh, values and principles for ourselves, right? And then I also thought about the senses and how our human capacity to experience something, like when we go and have a walk in nature and are just immersed in it, how we can feel and breathe and things are and savor things, and that is unique to us. And then also about the emotional intelligence. And I thought about the emotional intelligence because I I have uh, a nephew that's eight and there's a lot of emotions. <laughs> and I also raised an adolescent. And yes, we're all emotional, but especially at those ages, the emotions are um, unregulated, <laughs> so to speak. I'm just using child development language. And so there is like, the monkey brain of wanting to do this and do that and 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 have tantrums and, and do it my way and then another an adolescent it's doing all these impulsive things and 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 so I thought about how I used to talk to uh, the child that I raised and then my nephew and how I have to really do things differently than analytical and 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 uh, rational thinking with another adult where I really have to talk about our feelings and what it means to be on fire and what it means to cool down with water and try to irregulate those emotions when we have them. And so it's not something a robot can ever do. You know, it's not something you can teach a robot or plug in or program or code in. These are things that, you know, just come so natural to us. And I just, just try to figure out these things in my in my in my contemplation today and as we're discussing poetry I thought and and your experience Jessica I was thinking a lot about how poetry even though I'm not a poet I'm also I'm also reading a, a book called El Poeta, El Chile, El Poeta Chileno which is uh, a book that I was supposed to read for my book club, um, my Latin American uh, book club in San Francisco, but I just didn't get to it, so I'm getting it to get to it now. And he's a poet with he's a stepfather, and the relationship he has with his stepson is beautiful and and also very conflictive. And so it, it's so amazing that we're discussing this conversation. This conversation is directing around poetry and AI. And I thought about how like the relationships I had and and how every relationship that i've had has had some conflict or some experience that you can reflect on and i've written about and it makes me feel you know human like it's ups and downs and i've cried and have laughed and have a good experience with my relationships and that's not something you can ever get through with the core of like ai you could just never 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 get to that you know, I mean, you would know, uh, Jessica. And so I, I guess what I'm feeling is this, like, um, a P, oh, I, I want to make this appear. I don't want to just be sad. To our audience and to every, anyone who's listening and everything that we've discussed, discussed so far, I hope that the resistance 
that the, the what we're doing and anyone out there, wherever we're at, we try and attempt to curb this in in any way. And in my case, it's it's really, in your case, it's Jessica with your students. In my case, it's really um, at school with my nephew and keep advocating for just keeping the human spirit alive by keeping it down to the rustic, rustic, is it rustic? Or uh, uh, basics of pencil and paper and ingenuity through just experiencing the world, you know? Um, I, um, I, I know sign language, I, I use sign language. And when I, when I use sign language to communicate with deaf, uh, my deaf community, there are signs that if I just use them without facial expression, it would not transmit the same. But if I use my body, so if I just say this, right, for example, uh, that doesn't convey the same way if I'm like, you know, expressing it with thirsty, I'm like, you know, I'm really thirsty. So it it would add on the layer of something else if I use my facial expressions. That's not something that can be generated. That's not something that you can just do. It, it, it really is a human experience and a chemical experience, I think. You know, when you're in person, um, I remember uh, thinking about uh, this when we were doing an exercise last year uh, and because I'm going to tie it to also like verbal, even though we don't all use signs, but we're all human and we use body language. Uh, so I just said one example, like sign language being used with emotion. Another way, and now verbal, like we did an exercise last year when I was taking a workshop in poetry with Alejandro Cortez Gonzalez, who is a Colombian poet. And I took a workshop at Prosa del Mundo uh, in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, he had us do this exercise where we had to listen to poetry in another language and then write down what we thought was being conveyed through that. And it was listening to the tone. It was listening to the rhythm. It was listening to the tune. And that is something that we all just, we, we each had something differently, but something common amongst us all. And what I'm trying to say by that is like, that's what poetry is. It's like trying to, it's beyond just words that you can just come up with. It's also in the emo the emotion that it emits that you are trying to convey, and there is rhythm in it. And I I still have the challenges of trying to create something poetry because of my I guess my insecurities and my uh, my thinking that I'm not good enough. That's I think everybody's <laughs> everyone feels that. But it's 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 not something that you can easily just do. And I think that that's what art is, right? Like that's what we what we try to do in our art, we try to express something very human. And uh, so I guess, I, yeah, it's sadness that we're moving into this direction. Uh, and, uh, and those are my thoughts. Just those are the things that I have come up with in all of this discussion. And I hope that more students or our, our audience think about this. Maybe people who are on the fence are thinking, well, you know, they're having a great discussion, but the AI, I see its values and maybe it's good and maybe it's it's threatening in those areas, but we should consider it in other areas such as technology or medicine or whatever. 
it's like uh, that's what makes us evolve as humans. That's what most people I've heard in my community or in my circle say. I don't. I I I just have come to the conclusion where, like we have said here, that it should just be eradicated completely, a hundred percent. That that's the all or nothing I have come to, which wasn't always my case when we first started What's Left. I haven't always been the all or nothing kind of person. But in this case, and what we're seeing in the threats and the and what's predictable in the future, yeah, it, it really has to go. You know, it really does. And uh, so those are my thoughts on, on all of this that I have thought about um, regarding our discussion. I have a quote I want to read at some point. Jessica, you should go. But yeah. It's getting a lot darker. Is there anything to do about that? Or? Oh, 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 oh. It fits the moon. Ask the girl. Okay. I, when Eduardo was, I feel like you were tying together like a lot of different threads that we've talked about on the show. And I do, yeah. like everybody who's listening to what's left knows that academia is fucked and is like a tool of the elites, right? Um, but I think like it's just this is connected to so many different elements of like the synthetic and disconnection from nature and our bodies and all this stuff. So I was thinking about like Eduardo, you had mentioned like the sex tech tech episode at the beginning of your comment. I was thinking about um like discussions about parenting with Kenny last week and just in general on the show. Um, and I was just thinking about this quote, which I happen to have, uh, in my notes on my computer. Um, it's from Tom Robbins. Last time I read any, something by Tom Robbins and he didn't like it, but, <laughs> um, okay. It's a short little one. So he's talking about, this is in, um, uh, still life with woodpecker and he's talking about like artificial insemination and like like reproductive tech and stuff but i feel like this is right in the spirit of everything we're talking about so he says what kind of babies will those be who are made of the formula instead of the fuck asked the poet no doubt they'll possess two eyes each and the recommended number of toes but can the heat but can the heat? Okay, I think I have a typo. Uh, can the heat of their will be hot enough? Can their imagination have all of its fingers? Can their souls be expected to fully connect to the unraveling spool of the natural universe and not to the gunk at the bottom of the test tube? Will the infant pulled at the timer's bell from a plastic womb where it has been deprived of rhythm? mother bond and the jostlings of everyday life not have some small space between its eyes filled with synthetic fluid not bear if nowhere else in the core of its heart the android's mark isn't that good i like that one that's good i mean the only thing Maybe that goes from both what Eduardo said and Tom, Tom, Tim Robbins, Tim Robbins, Tom Robbins, Tim Robbins, Tim, uh, Tim Robbins is someone else. Right. He's an actor. Um, is this notion of, we have this question of 
they they won't be able to get the robot to to do this or replace this or or no to to do this or 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 do it in the same way i go maybe and maybe not i'm not so sure what i what i am convinced of though is we are being replaced and we are being replaced by something which maybe it won't maybe it will ultimately only be a simulation of love a simulation of caring a simulation of trust a simulation of humanity but our rulers are replacing us and they are they are inducing us to go from like we've talked about cyborgs and you know to be people increasingly having phones that they might be attached to and those phones can go into their body but this process of making it so that people don't have their own handwriting or can't read and have to use an audiobook is the process of people not just using a tool but becoming dependent on the tool and that that tool in in its in their dependence on it is a tool that's going to ultimately be created to replace us and if we are dependent on that very same tool that is going to be replace us then we we are we are subject to slavery we are subject to a situation that we won't be able to change because the very thing that's being used to attack us and move us out of the out of the game is something we will need to survive and so they're they are trying to make us physical and spiritual and intellectual cyborgs of a, of a sort where more and more the machine part of what we do dominates. Um, and I just think I mean, we, we, it's, it is a war. It's a war that, that we have to also understand. So it's not just a question of, oh, they can't, they can't simulate that. Ultimately, they don't care. The, there is an act of replacement going on here. And when we utilize these tools, then we are we are facilitating uh, that process. Did you want to say something, Kenny? Yeah, just uh, maybe to add to that notion of war, right? Like for me, this is an explosion that is expanding, you know, and and the aim is to eliminate, you know, well, although ultimately, like I think it's what drives it is profit and power and all that stuff but it's goes to eliminate what makes us human and individuals you know for for people who want to measure and, and and control and manage everything Jessica is there any last thoughts you want to share in light of the story you brought to us I think so just everybody go write poems even if they're bad <laughs> You know, regarding that, Jessica, uh, I was thinking, you know, yes, everyone should write poems, even though I have a lot of insecurities around writing poetry. Uh, and I will, I did write one yesterday. I don't think I'll ever share it, but anyhow, yes, we should all write some poetry. But, you know, I think everyone does experience the very thing that humans are able to do. Not everyone has the, the words to, to say what an image conveys or what it evokes or what looking out the window does for you or when you're walking your dog and you see something. I don't think everyone maybe practices enough to convey or to transmit that, but we all do feel it. Like we do feel something that robots do not, cannot do, which is we're looking at something or we're feeling something if you're blind or we're, you know, we're experiencing it. And suddenly there is this, this thing that comes and it's like, 
the full experience. And that I really do think we should do more of. We should be aware and and absorb that experience. And sometimes it's very private. We don't even share it with other people. But I know we've all felt it. Uh, we've all suddenly stopped and took that in, that that moment of time, you know? Maybe not written it or drawn it or whatever, but we felt it for sure. Um, I also wanted to read something, if that's okay, as we end this. And I I liked it because it's Alejandro who I studied with, and I felt like I failed him as a student because of my insecurities. I just could not un be uninhibited. He kept trying to make me get uninhibited with poetry, and I couldn't. But I really appreciate because I love, I just came back from Colombia. And I really, 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 really loved just everything about Colombia, the, the, the ghettos and the, and the architecture and, you know, people's lives and, you know, the struggle. Everything about Bogota made me feel very connected. And I keep going back and I think I'll go back again next year. But uh, he, he wrote a poem and he has uh, he wrote a poem and I'll read it first in Spanish and then in English, because I think I should do service to it because he was written in Spanish. So, and then I think I'm ready. I'm ready to, and anyone comment about that, but I'll be ready to just start getting to wrap up. Uh, is that okay? So we'll do that. Yep. All right. So Alejandro Cortez Gonzalez, he, uh, he was born in Bogota, Colombia. He loves the city very much and he has published notes. He published his book called Notes from the Underworld in 2010 and also But the Blood is Still Cold. A, a, uh, um, a collection of poetry in 2012. So he wrote this, and I'll read it in Spanish, and then I'll read it in English. El transeúnte. Escribir la ciudad porque estamos vivos en ella o porque ella está viva en nosotros. Las calles, el barrio, la casa, ya son estados de nuestra imaginación. Aunque estemos encerrados, allí deambula el yo poético, el transeúnte. La poesía canta a aquello que vemos a diario y de repente aparece de una forma que no habíamos visto. ¿Cuántas imágenes nos han hablado y nosotros sin herramientas para escuchar? La ciudad siempre renace ante los ojos del poeta. Podemos decir entonces que en la poesía urbana renace la ciudad. Vamos a ser el transeúnte que la recorre aún estando quieto porque la Imaginación es más veloz en el encierro. Vamos a ser el transeúnte que experimenta con los íconos urbanos en el imaginario arquitectónico de la evocación y de la hipótesis. La calle como una prolongación del cuerpo. Vamos a ser el transeúnte que explora la poesía urbana de la mano de sus principales autores, con la libertad y el entusiasmo de quien recorre su nuevo vecindario o de quien camina por las mismas cuadras pero con ojos que se acaban de mudar. All right, so this is in English now. The Passerby by Alejandro Cortez González. Write the city because we are alive in it, or because she is alive in us. The streets, the neighborhood, the house, they are already states of our imagination. Even though we're locked up, there wonders the poetic self, the passerby. Poetry sings to what we see daily and suddenly. It appears in a way that we had not seen. 
How many images have spoken to us, and we without tools to listen? The city is always reborn before the eyes of the poet. We can say then that in urban poetry the city is reborn. Let's be the passerby that runs through it, even within still, because the imagination is fast in confinement. Let's be the passerby who experiments with urban icons and the architectural imaginary of the evocation and from the hypothesis, the street as an extension of the body. Let's be the passerby that explores urban poetry at the hand of its main authors, with the freedom and enthusiasm of someone who tours his new neighborhood or who walks the same blocks, but with eyes that have just moved. So anyhow, I, I just really like his poetry and I really like him. And he has a lot of charisma and he sees Bogota in a, well, he made me see Bogota in a whole different way because sometimes it's like considered a dangerous city and it has a lot of beauty to it. So I think we should all be that passerby that he speaks to and take in our environment and our experience that makes us human. So that's, those are my thoughts. Thank you for letting me share it. <laughs> I like that. Thanks for reading that, Eduardo. Yeah. <laughs> and every episode on the poem. <laughs> I was in my yoga classes with a poem, usually. That would be a trip. That would be a trip. I had a yoga teacher that read quotes to us right before class started. I used to oh, like that. I at the end, like when they're coming out of Shavasana, you know? Like, I'm really glad you're doing that. <laughs> Anything else, Kenny, or someone else? Okay. All right. <clears throat> well, well, this was an interesting episode that we did because I, uh, it was very good for us, uh, sort of artistically and experimentally thinking about things about AI and poetry. So thank you, Jessica, for uh, sharing with us on uh, our group uh, message, what you uh, experienced. All right. What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our no and our guests in the episode notes where you found this episode or on our blog at whatsleftpodcast.com. And you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I, I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. You can find um, our blog and any of those links in the episode notes wherever you found this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I really like that guy that you sent us in the email from from Birmingham. No, no, Brighton, 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 which I haven't been to Brighton. He is amazing. And I saw his YouTube channel. Is that the person that you were is oh, referring to? The rap Ren? Ren? Yeah. Yeah, he's... Okay. Man. Bring him on. I oh. said in the email, bring okay. him on. Uh, I will try. God, I would be thrilled to, to see. Did you, um, this is this is off topic. Did you listen to <laughs> yeah. guys' money? Is that what I sent? Huh? I sent you the money money game. Is that the one that oh, you yeah. sent us? A, you sent us a link and I looked at his videos. I really like what he what he's talking about. So we should get him connected to us. All right, back to the uh, outro. I'm Eduardo Barca. You need to have more rappers on. I think <laughs> <laughs> We should. More artists. 
I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Jessica, Kenny Cepeda, and Andy Lipson. Uh, you can find our social, our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram and just Twitter handle as jhomie89. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for putting up with us. And we'll see you all next time. Ciao.